doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple and at daybreak, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We'd found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them and wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thedius rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonored for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the apostles and for other men and women since them who have chosen to obey you rather than men to further the gospel. We thank you for your hand being on all of history, and we praise you for the words of the Pharisee here that are so true that any plan that is of you cannot be overthrown by men. We ask that you would be with Jason now and give him the words to preach and prepare our hearts and minds uh, to hear what you would have to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm a creature of habit. It has to be on the right-hand side. I don't want to. 
so I have the privilege of coaching some of my children's sports teams. Uh, I've done so for years, and it is, it's a blessing to coach kids' sports. There is, however, a certain phenomenon among younger kids, uh, one that is usually extremely cute, and maybe you're familiar with it. Uh, I can remember one cold, late October night a couple years ago, coaching a fall baseball team of seven- and eight-year-olds. Uh, we were playing in East Greenwich. Okay, uh, have you ever been to East Greenwich Little League Field? Great French fries if you ever go there, okay? Remember that. Best in South Jersey. But it was, you know, late October, dark. The wind is whipping off the river. It ain't baseball weather, let's say that. And we, the coaches, uh, also the parents and the children, are praying for the season to end. We're getting our butts beaten that night. The game draws to a merciful conclusion. The kids line up to shake hands, and one of those precious little ones looks at me with the utmost sincerity and says, Coach, did we win? Well, Johnny, did our team score any runs? No, Coach. Uh huh. And the other team, did they score a lot of runs? Yes, Coach. So, do you think we won? No, Coach. You're right. We didn't win. Your experience at any any of you coaches? It's a great thing. It's a great thing that, that it's like, uh, you know, we, we're here for the, for the love of the sport. But sometimes in our walk with the Lord, uh, or as we look at our place in our culture, our community, our world, sometimes it's easy to lose track of who's winning and who will win. Sometimes we need to be reminded that the verses we read in this service are true, Right? I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. For many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Sometimes uh, the score of the game seems tough for us to tell in the world that we live in. And we need to be reminded that when it's all said and done, God wins. He is invincible. He is undefeatable. He is mighty and He is merciful. Life does not always go the way we would expect it to go for the winners, right? doesn't feel like sometimes we're, we're among the winners in this thing. Today's passage is a reminder that adversity is not going to thwart the plan of God. Opposition is not going to thwart the plan of God. However, the people of God are called to remain faithful even when it looks like the deck is stacked against us. Even when we're being told to stop being faithful. 
Today we will examine the kingdom of man at war with the kingdom of God. Those are the two points in this passage. The kingdom and power of man and the kingdom and power of God. And I pray that we will be reminded that our, our allegiance as believers in Christ, if you're here as a believer in Jesus Christ, your allegiance is to a king who will not be defeated. Whether it means mighty deliverance, miraculous salvation, or painful obedience, our submission is to an invincible king. As we left off last week, the ministry of the apostles and the church is growing and thriving. The Lord is granting much grace and power, healing, cleansing from unclean spirits. The gospel is going forward and transforming lives. And all of this continues to make the Jewish council, led by the Sadducees, jealous. Do you see that at the beginning of this passage? Do you have your Bibles open? Acts chapter 5, keep them open. Always good to be able to follow along. And you see that in verse 17? They're filled with jealousy. Side note, but worth saying, God forbid we ever become jealous of the genuine work of the Lord done elsewhere, not done within these walls. This is one of the reasons we pray for other churches in our community when we gather in our worship services, because we, we don't see ourselves in competition with other faithful brothers and sisters, right? We don't look across the town or across the county or across the state and say, like, why are they doing better than us? We want to praise God for His work wherever it's happening. The success of others is not something to be jealous of. It's something we should rejoice in. But the Sadducees and the Jewish council, they, they were not rejoicing in this work. They were not happy about this. This was about them and their thing. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the beginning of chapter 4. This was all about them. The apostles' teaching and preaching was gaining a following. And they were taking people away from them. They were saying that this Jesus, who they had put to death... He's now alive and ascended. They were saying that Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures and that the religious leaders had missed it to the point that they had actually killed the one that their own scriptures had been speaking of and pointing toward. The Sadducees were frustrated for multiple reasons. First of all, they didn't even believe in a resurrection. So this whole resurrection nonsense was a problem for them. They didn't believe in resurrection. But they're also frustrated that this was a threat to their power. This was a threat to the thing they had going. They had a good working relationship with the Roman government. And as long as things stayed status quo, they were happy because they were the ones in charge. And this new movement was a threat. And in this passage that Steve just read for us, we see that they turn the heat up a little further from chapter 4. In chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for healing a man in Jesus' name. They testified before the council, and then they were released with the charge not to speak in that name anymore. To which Peter and John replied at the time, 
whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So Peter and John were released at that point without further incident. Because why were they released without further incident? What was the issue? Why didn't the council do more to them? They were afraid. They were afraid of the people. And we see in this passage also that they're still afraid of the people. When do we see that they're afraid of the people? What are the people going to do to them maybe in this passage? Stone them. They were afraid they were going to get stoned by the people for doing this. But they're going to tighten the noose a little further anyway. What do you do when your kingdom of self is in danger? You try to silence your opponents. You try to put the opponents to rest. They have the apostles arrested. And it appears at this point they have all of the apostles arrested, not just Peter and John. So they put them in the public prison. And the charge against them is what? What's the charge? I'm asking. You can answer. What's the charge against the apostles? Why are they being arrested? What's that? Yeah. We told you to stop preaching about this guy. We told you to stop speaking in this guy's name. And you didn't. So now you're being arrested again. We're going to get back to what happens during the night when they're in prison. But for now, we're going to move past that because we are talking about the kingdom and power of man. The high priest and the council are gathered together to hear from the apostles. So they get together the next morning to hear from the apostles at the prison. What's the problem? There are no apostles in the prison. That's a minor problem. The people who should have known... The officers, the captain of the temple, the chief priests, they don't know where the apostles are. Where did they find them? Exactly where they were supposed to be. In the temple, following the Lord's orders and teaching again. And the question you would ask, maybe, if you were them, is what? what? How did that happen, right? Wouldn't that be the first thing in your mind if you were one of them? Don't you think? Maybe. Probably wouldn't be if you were trying to protect your kingdom. But it should have been the first question on their mind. How are they not here? How did they, how did they get over there? But when the kingdom of self gets threatened, you don't let little things like rational thought or the truth get in the way of what you want. You know how it is when you want to live for yourself, when you, you're your own God. Rational thinking stops. You don't want to be confronted with truth when you're living for yourself. You want to be happy in your own private little world ruling your own life. When your kingdom is threatened, it's easy to come up with schemes and plans. It's easy to hide and attack and belittle. Whatever it takes to win, whatever it takes to keep your power, your authority, you never stop to ask, what's the truth here? Because the truth is irrelevant to what you want. So despite the fact that they are greatly perplexed, it says, 
I, I thought it was interesting to note the different adjectives. Ad, adjectives. That's a good, all my English teeth. Let's go with adjectives uh, that, that are used to describe the religious leaders in this passage. We have they're, they're jealous, they're greatly perplexed, they're afraid, and they're enraged. That's the things that happen in this passage with, with these leaders. But they're perplexed by the apostles' absence from prison. But what they do is they just send to the temple and say, all right, bring them back. Nobody asks. They don't ask how they got out. Better not to think about that kind of stuff. They go right at the charge again. You need to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. We told you to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Why aren't you stopping? Because the kingdom of man is in stark opposition to the kingdom of God, there will be times when we are forced to choose between faithfulness to God and obedience to man. The apostles prayed in chapter 4 for boldness to speak the word after they were told not to. We too, brothers and sisters in Christ, must pray and arm ourselves with the same purpose. I've said it before. I, I like being liked. I like it when people think well of me. I try my very best to be a likable person. I hope I have a good reputation in my community. But if the day comes when I am told to change the message, or I can't be that little league coach anymore, or I can't be an owner of a business that has any respect in the community, or I can't have tax-exempt status, we can't have it as a church, or we need to shut up or they're going to close our doors. If that day comes, then our answer is we must obey God rather than men. If in our town we are thought ill of because we remain faithful to the truth. I try to, I try to always make sure it's clear. If our faithfulness to the truth makes us stink in our town, then so be it. We must obey God rather than men. There's lots of applications to that. And there are lots of ways that might affect all of our individual lives. And we do well to think about. There are times when we have the persecution complex when we ought not to. There are times when we are not well thought of because we're nasty people. But there are also times when the people of God have to have a backbone and stand for what is true, no matter what the outcome of that may be. I prayed for the, the 10 most dangerous countries to be a Christian, and praise God, we haven't faced that, but we might. What if that was us? We must obey God rather than men. When called to compromise our morals or our values, we must obey God rather than men. It's hard. 
rather than silence. So they, they bring him in and they say, all right, you remember we told you not to teach in this name. And rather than silencing the apostles, they get the same exact message. Rather than a retraction from the apostles, they say, oh, we're so sorry, we misunderstood. We won't talk in that name anymore. Rather than retract the message, the apostles reiterate the message to the council. And so now, we're going to get back to that, what that message is in a few minutes. And so now, okay, we warned you. We bring you in, we warn you again, and you tell us, you do whatever you got to do, but we're going to keep talking about Jesus. And now the council is enraged. The apostles say, you can tell us that you've heard that we're putting Jesus' blood on you, and what we say to you is, yep, we are. And we're going to say it again to your face. And we're going to say it again as often as we're out there. And so the council is enraged. And they want these guys dead. Dead. By any means necessary. Dead. Just like they had done to Jesus. The kingdom of God irritates the kingdom of man. To the point, apart from God's grace, that the kingdom of man wants the kingdom of God to die. At this moment, respected Pharisee Gamaliel, teacher of the apostle Paul, steps in. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were not friends, as we've talked about in the past. But he steps in on, to the council. This, this Pharisee, this strict the Pharisees were a stricter sect of the Jewish people, stringently following the law, uh, maybe too stringently following the law, according to Jesus, making new laws that were above and beyond the law of God. But the Pharisees were maybe a little more sympathetic to the cause of the early Christians because they too believed in the hope of eternal life and resurrection. And so Gamaliel has them send the apostles out and he shares with the council. How do we know what Gamaliel shared with the council in this behind-closed-doors meeting? Charlotte? The Bible tells us. And how did, the, how did Luke find that out? How did Luke get that information? Could have been from Paul. Paul could have very well been in that behind-closed-doors meeting. How did Paul feel about the Christians at this point? Saul, sorry, I'm sorry, Saul. Paul was not a fan. Did Paul have the same mindset as Gamaliel? Did Paul say like, hey, let's just see how this whole thing plays out? You're going to see in a passage that we read in about a week or two, I can't remember if it's next week or the week after, that Paul, Saul, was breathing out murderous threats against these people. He wanted them dead. But Gamaliel says, uh, he, he brings up these two guys, Theodos and Judas. Now, before you read the book of Acts, can you tell me everything you knew about Theodos and Judas? Not, this isn't Judas Iscariot. This is another Judas. Tell me everything you knew about Theodos and Judas before you read the book of Acts. Anybody have any input? 
I'm going to go ahead and guess that the answer is nothing. You knew nothing about these guys. That's what I knew. Maybe if you are like an absolute historical buff who has scoured the historical works of that day, you might have heard of them, but you might not even know who they were talking about. Because guess what? In my reading, my studies, there were lots of guys named Judas who professed to be something special in that time. Hundreds of guys rising up and saying, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. Claiming to be somebody is what, what Gamaliel said. Claiming to be somebody at that time. So it's good to stop here and ask this question. Why is it that you have no idea who Theodos and Judas are, but you do know who Judas, or Jesus is? Why is that? Ah. They weren't from God. Why is it that if I went downtown this afternoon and asked people what they think of Theodos, they would say, I don't know what you're talking about. But if I ask them what they think about Jesus, whatever they may say, they'll have some sort of answer, right? Why is that? While the kingdoms of man rise and fall, while cult leaders rise and fall, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. For those here who have not believed in Christ, I ask you to consider this. Why is it that a group of people very, very, very far away from where this guy Jesus lived, 2,000 years after he lived, are getting together and talking about him and singing about him and praying about him and not Theodos or Judas. Why is this guy still so important 2,000 years later? Gamaliel tells the council that those guys died and their movements died with them. If this Jesus movement is of man, it's going to fail too. But if it is of God, then all your plans and schemes are not going to stop it. Gamaliel's counsel is wise, and it seems to soothe the rage of the council. But I ask, was his counsel what, what they needed? In a sense, yes. It was politically wise and factually true. If this movement is of man, it will fail. If it is of God, they won't be able to overthrow it. That is a true statement that Gamaliel made. They would even be found opposing God, Gamaliel says. That's also a true statement. All of this is very true, and Gamaliel should be commended for his wise words in one sense. Yet, his wise words also fall short, don't they? Should he have said more than that? What might have been another good question or another good statement? How about, well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. I just want to say relative to Gamaliel, because he can be pointed out in this passage as, here's the example of what to do. His counsel is wise, but it is not complete. 
Anyone who is not with the Lord is against the Lord. So, okay, you don't want the council to kill him or them. But the unasked question in this passage is this. Again, are these guys telling the truth? Is Jesus the Messiah? And if these guys are telling the truth, what is our proper response? Right? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Like that should be a response of Gamaliel? Like, hey, have we thought about the fact that maybe this Jesus actually is the Messiah? The proper response of this council is not silent allowance or trying to quietly dismiss them. The proper response of this council is repentance and rejoicing that the Messiah has come. But why don't they do that? We can go from the big theological. Their hearts are hardened. But there is also the the point that we're trying to make here. The reason they don't do that, the reason they don't consider that, is because they are all way more concerned about keeping their good thing going than confronting the truth of whether Jesus is who he says he is. And a lot of the world lives like that. The proper response of Gamaliel will be to say, the one we've waited for is truly come. He's here. Gamaliel is at least unconvinced, possibly more concerned with keeping the peace than with what is true. His disciple Saul was nothing like that. He wanted the apostles dead. But Gamaliel stands for us as another representation of the kingdom and power of man, the one who says, let's not rock the boat. Let's not rock the boat. Let's let's wait and see. Let's see what happens. There is wisdom. He is saying, let's see. If it's of God, we'll be found opposing God. But he does not repent. He does not urge them to consider the claims of Jesus. He does say, let's not rock the boat. Sometimes the boat needs to be rocked. Even if it overthrows your own personal kingdom. Which brings us, point two is a little shorter, to the true king and his invincible, unstoppable purposes. This passage starts with the apostles being arrested because of the miracles that have been done and the message that they had preached. How does this passage end? Do you remember? I know it was a few minutes ago. They're preaching, right? It says... They are going from house to house and in the temple every day preaching. That's how this passage ends. While things will not always go well for the apostles and the church in an earthly sense, the gospel will always go forward and the church will always be built because this happens by the mighty hand of our invincible God. The apostles are imprisoned. But the word of God is not bound. During the night, an angel of the Lord comes into the, into the prison. This is a common occurrence in Scripture. I would encourage you, if you're looking for a word or a phrase study to do this week, your Bible study, 
Look up the angel of the Lord. See, see all the different places in Scripture where the angel of the Lord is mentioned. The angel of the Lord opens the prison doors, brings them out, and he gives them strict instructions. He says, go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. There's a lot that could be said there, but a few things I want to point out. First, was this an actual angel? Or just the Lord doing it and speaking to him? Doesn't matter. I just wanted to ask. But it was clearly miraculous. No matter what it was, it was clearly miraculous because one of the questions that gets begged, right, is, well, maybe just a couple of the guards opened up the prison doors and let them free, right? That's, just, that's what the skeptic might say. Couldn't that have happened? That somebody just let them out and then locked up the doors again and said, oh, we don't know what happened. Why do I think that's not what happened? First of all, it's not what it says. They'd be killed. So that combination right there. We find out later in the book of Acts what happens when Peter gets miraculously freed from prison. You know what happens to the prison guards? They get killed. And they know if somebody's missing on my watch, my neck's on the line. And it says in here that the angel of the Lord set these men free. The angel instructs them that they are being set free to do what? What are they being set free to do? Yes! He, he actually says, you know the thing that got you arrested? Yeah, go do that again. Go do that again. Go speak the words of this life. Life. Apostles, you are being set free to preach the good news. Free to go right back to the place where you got yourselves in trouble. Put yourselves in harm's way again to tell the people of Jerusalem about life. Maybe our minds are brought back to Jesus in John chapter 6. He feeds the 5,000, right? Feeds the 5,000, and then the next day they come back, and he says to the people, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And that's a very challenging saying. And what, what happens? A lot of his followers, what do they do at that point? They leave. And Jesus turns to the 12, and he says, do you guys want to go too? What do they say? Peter says it, right? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus has the words of life. Jesus is the word of life. Life is found in Him alone. Eternal life is found in no other. In Him is life and life abundant. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, that same Apostle Paul who wanted to kill these people, he has to hold fast the word of life. The word of life. Only in Jesus is found forgiveness, salvation, and life. 
what the angel tells them to do, they do it. Same words are basically used. He says, stand in the temple and teach. What do they find them doing? Standing in the temple and teaching. They obey the words of the angel because the kingdom and power of God will not be stopped. The council brings the apostles in and they go willingly, without incident. They go. They go right back. They bring them in and they say it to the apostles' faces. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In the face of opposition, in the face of possible death, they have to believe, just like their, their Savior had done, they're going to die for this. In the face of that, trusting in the empowering of the Lord, the apostles do not back down. They did intend to bring the blood of Jesus upon this council. But even here, please note, what we have is a truth-filled plea for this council to repent and believe. Look, look in verses uh, 20, let's go to 29. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him as, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. There is a ton in that, that, just that little section. You could easily do multiple sermons on that section. But what the apostles are saying, Peter is saying, the God of our fathers, again, you, you hear that familial, that, hey, we are, we are brothers. I am, I am a Jewish person like you. You are my brothers. The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he raised Jesus. He brought him up. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. And they know what their scriptures say, the book of Deuteronomy, about those hung on a tree, right? Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This is our Messiah. You killed the Messiah. But he's not dead. Though you killed him, he's alive. He's exalted at God's right hand as leader. That word leader is used elsewhere in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3.15. We see it in Hebrews 2.12, Hebrews 12.2 as the word uh, author or founder. God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior. Even now, you wicked leaders... Even now, we tell you, he came to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. He came to give repentance. Did you note that, that word? Be reminded that everything we have in Christ is a gift. Repentance, faith, forgiveness, salvation, it's all a gift all of our good deeds are gifts given by God. Without Him, we can do nothing. And He is telling these leaders, even now, He offers the gift of repentance and forgiveness to all who believe. 
That offer still stands to this day. Praise the Lord. Peter says, we are witnesses of all these things, counsel. We are witnesses is a good Acts phrase. Jesus told him in the end of Luke, Luke, you will be my witnesses. And all the book of Acts is about how they were witnesses. But Peter brings in a second witness to corroborate his evidence in this passage. Who's the second witness? He says, we're all witnesses and... The Holy Spirit is a witness. Testimony is to be believed on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And Peter says it's not just us. It's the Holy Spirit. Take a look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in this city if you don't believe us. He was raised. Maybe you can silence us, counsel, but you can't silence Jesus. Maybe you can kill us, but you're not going to kill this message. You're not going to kill the kingdom of God. This is the message that the world must reckon with. And this is the message that will not be silenced until the day Jesus returns and we begin new life with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. Repentance and forgiveness are given by Jesus, given because of Jesus. Repentance and forgiveness are found in no other. There certainly are and certainly will be forever and ever until that day attempts to silence the gospel message. It's happening all over the world. It's happening in our nation. It's happening in our community. Attempts to silence the true gospel message of Jesus. Why? Because people hate God by nature. The kingdom of man is always at war with the kingdom of God. We should not be surprised by that. Why is the name of Jesus more offensive than the name of Muhammad? Because the name of Jesus brings us face to face with our rebellion against God. As individuals and as a society, Jesus threatens our kingdom because he's the king. He says, I'm the king. You are to live for my glory. You are to live for my honor. And we say, I like my honor and my glory. I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to think about the truth. It's how the world lives. It's how we live apart from, from His grace, right? I don't want to think about those things. I want to have fun today. But the world must know. Brothers and sisters all over the world right now suffer greatly to get this news out. The news that the king we rebelled against, his kingdom will not be defeated. Jail will not stop it. We will still preach. Beatings will not stop it, right? Do you see they turned it up? And they didn't just release them today, right? They beat them. And then they released them. And beatings are not like, hey, don't do that. What was a beating in that time? A whip. How many times? 39 times with a whip with shards of, of pottery tied to the end of it on their bare backs. 
That's a beating. And what did they do when they got beat? They rejoiced at being counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's amazing. That's grace. They rejoiced. Death will not stop the kingdom of God as the gospel will still go forward. Here we are, 2,000 years later. You read through the history of the church, it's an amazing thing that we still have the gospel. But it's not amazing because God will not be defeated. The beatings continue and the preaching continues and the kingdom grows. And in the midst of the hate of the religious leaders, an offer of mercy is extended to them and to us. Believe in this Jesus. Repent. Find forgiveness. And the offer still stands today. Jesus is the king of an invincible kingdom. Brothers and sisters, take heart. You are a part of that kingdom by grace through faith. Take heart because even when it looks like everything around you is crumbling, His kingdom will endure forever. Trust God and obey in all circumstances, knowing that He will provide for every need and He will win. He wins. We win by grace. Gamaliel was right. There would be no stopping this undertaking. We are evidence of that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that your kingdom is forever. Thank you. Uh, we certainly don't look at ourselves as any better than the people in this passage. Apart from your grace, we're exactly like that living for the kingdom of self, living to, to satisfy our lusts for power or popularity or whatever it may be. Father, bring us face to face with ourselves. Remind us that your kingdom is eternal. Thank you for your grace that we've experienced through the Lord Jesus. Thank you that the message of Jesus is unstoppable. That you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Help us to remember in our day in and day out that you win. Help us to be faithful representatives of your kingdom in all that we say and do. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.